0: All right, well, let's go to the fourth or fifth proverb tonight, fifth proverb, Proverbs 5, and uh, I originally intended um, last week uh, to complete this entire message, and uh, so that didn't happen, which uh, those of you know, that's very common for me, and um, so most times when you hear me say my intent is to finish one in the same week, it never happens that way, and so that's Okay. Uh, so tonight, we're going to get excited because it's verses 12, 13, and 14, which means we're only going to deal with three verses tonight. So uh, that means it should be relatively short, right? Well, I'm not promising anything towards that. But we are going to remember what we talked about last week and the, the subject or the topic um, of the strange woman or a strange woman. Um, and again, we, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, who that woman is. And we started off by acknowledging that this woman was uh, not just someone who was peculiar or different, but this was a picture of an immoral woman uh, going even further by understanding that not only was this an immoral woman, this was an adulterous woman. And we saw the parallels between uh, the, uh, the literal adulterous woman and what happens uh, when a, a man falls prey to that adulterous woman. But we also learned about the spiritual application, which told us that when Solomon was writing to his son, this was actually happening. Uh, There were women who were coming in from other nations, nations that God had told Israel to not marry, to not even have any part with, and they were coming in. So what Solomon was writing about here was something that was taking place. It was commonplace that the men of Israel were falling prey to these immoral women. Now, we drew a lot of uh, application last week, and we, we talked a lot about, and I think that the couple of the points were, uh, if I remember right, the very first one we talked about in verses 1 through 7 was the danger of the strange woman. We talked about how Solomon gave a warning to his son against adultery. He told him about the ways how the strange woman functioned, how she operated, what to look out for, uh, what to be aware of. And also the wickedness uh, that, that her end, the Bible told us in verse 4, is as wormwood, uh, sharp as a two-edged sword. gives us the, the, the impression here that this is a, a deadly relationship. And we also learned that there were numbers of different devices and tricks that she would use, but that ultimately in verses 8 through 11, uh, she would bring destruction. And Solomon tells his son in verse number eight to remove thy way far from her and come not nigh to the door of her house. In other words, don't even go anywhere close to her. Uh, Don't tempt what shouldn't be tempted. He was very precise. He says, this is so serious that we need to understand how deadly this is. So tonight, what verses 12 through 14 really are is we're going to understand what led the man to ultimately fall. Why does a man fall into this adulterous relationship? Now, remember, we we are not picking on women by saying that only women are immoral. That would be unbiblical, to say the least. There are men that can be just as immoral Uh, There are men who could, in many ways, do the same type of enticements. They could do the same type of things. The the idea here is that there are certain characteristics, there are certain traits that are there. But I do believe that verses 12 through 14 show us that this is the reason why anybody falls. In other words, it is the exact reason why the strange woman prevails. And we talked a lot about how serious the sin of adultery is. And... Sadly, that is one of the sins of our society that is now treated as no big deal. Uh, it was at one point, um, you could not even, um, on, a, on a television program, you wouldn't even see adultery portrayed. And now it's, it's the common theme, right? It's, it's, it's the center plot. Um, so you have this idea that society has grown accustomed to it. There was a time when even an unbelieving couple wouldn't even think about the thought of adultery. They wouldn't think about it, but now it's become commonplace. But what I told you last week from a personal standpoint, without mentioning names, this is hitting too close to home for myself and our family now because we are aware of people that this happened to. Uh, there, this is not just hypothetical. You know, it's one thing when we, we read a story about uh, a pastor, for example, that falls into adultery. And we say, uh, what, a, what a horrible thing. But when you start seeing people that you know it's happening to, and people that were, were, uh, were in ministry, for example, that, those are the people that we know who, there's no question in my mind, that preacher that falls preached against it. He taught against it. He probably even knew these verses we're going to talk about tonight, but yet he allowed himself to get to the place where he still fell. So tonight what we're going to look at is really the very practical aspect of this. Why does an individual fall prey to adultery? And it's very clearly written out in verses 12, 13, and 14. Verse 12 tells us, And as we continue the thoughts that we were saying about what this woman would do and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. Notice verse 13 has an exclamation point. It's emphatic. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. You have in your outline there, you really have the three points we're going to talk about tonight. Verse 12 tells us, The man enticed by the strange woman despised reproof. Number two, the man deceived by the strange woman disobeyed instruction. And then number three, the man ensnared by the strange woman will have his sin exposed. All of these things are taught in these three verses. So let's look at verse number 12 and look at the attitude of the man who falls prey to the strange woman or falls into this sin of adultery. It says how I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. Uh, One of the great, I believe, if you were to pull people who uh found themselves in this sin. I would tell you that probably most of them find themselves in an area where they regret what happened. Now regret doesn't always mean that there's repentance and doesn't always mean that they decide to to, to to make things right, but there is a regret. And the regret is not just because they got caught. The regret is is because, we knew better, we were taught better, but my problem was I hated instruction and I specifically, my heart, despised reproof. Now, reproof has become a bad word in churches today. We we think that reproving one another is somehow negative. Reproving is just to speak to with the intent of correcting a potential problem. For example, if you were going to go into a doctrinal error, you and I were having a conversation and it sounded as if you were starting to take on a a doctrinal error. What we should want is for a reproof to help correct us and put us back on the right path, right? I mean, you wouldn't just say, well, that's no problem. Do you know that many times before these adulterous relationships started, there was a time when reproof was attempted? when there was a time when the instruction was there. But what we see about sin and what we see even with this adulterous woman is we see that sin always promises, but it always comes up empty. So what we think is going to happen is we think, you know, this sin of adultery, like we mentioned last week, and we said that the man who falls prey to this says, listen, uh, this this woman is, is," and again, we're not picking on, on women and wives tonight, but he says, she's so much better than my current spouse. She understands me so much better. That's the promise that sin brings, right? It says what you have isn't good enough, but what she promises is much better. But now remember what the strange woman was doing. Her words were smooth. She was deceptive. And that's what sin does. It deceives us. So whether a man or a woman falls prey into this snare, how many of them must have wondered, how did I end up here? I knew better. I had been instructed better. How could I have been so foolish to think that this was worth it? I can tell you right now, there's there's individuals I'm, I'm thinking in my mind right now that would say this. How in the world did I give up so much for what amounted to be so little? Why would I have given up the life that I knew, the spouse that loved me, and the family that I had for this single, what appeared to be a better situation, right? That's how it happens. Where the turn took place... Is the attitude that is seen in verse number 12. I hate instruction and I despise reproof. I don't want to be taught. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't, who are you to correct me? I'm convinced that many people who get ensnared in this, had they just fallen back on what they knew, and instead of despising God's word, is God keeping something from them, saying, listen, God is protecting me from something, but what he has given me is more than I deserve. If you'll turn over to Psalm 50, verses 17 through 23. Psalm 50, uh, verses 17 through 23. And I want you to see this is a common theme that runs through scripture. And it is, it is the... the, the the, the characteristics or the attitude of a wicked man. And it tells us in verse number 13, 16, he says, but under the wicked God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. When thou sawest the thief, then thou consented with him and has been partaker with adulterers. Now, notice what the psalmist is saying. You knew my words. You threw them behind you. This is when you deny the truth of Scripture. This is when you know what the Bible says, but you deny it and you cast his word behind you. I have pled with people, maybe not necessarily the direct act of adultery. But I have pled with people over the years to not do something. And it wasn't just because it was going to cost me something. It was because it was going to cost them something because it was violating God's word. I have seen it happen to where they take that words that you say that are scriptural. reads. You turn the Bible around to them and you say, read this passage and you can see them cast it away. That is a characteristic of someone who hates instruction. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear what God has to say because ultimately my happiness is what comes first. Those who hate instruction are usually very, very self-centered. They're very much about what I deserve. He goes on and he says, Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. This man in the psalm hated instruction; he cast it behind him. Back in Proverbs, a couple cha- one chapter over in Proverbs six, verse twenty three. Proverbs six, verse twenty three. This is not the last time. This is how serious this matter is. We, we thought when we get to Proverbs 5 that this is the only place we deal with a strange woman. She comes up again in chapter number 6, and it's not the last time that we're going to even see about it then. That's how serious this is. Proverbs 6, verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction, look at this, are the way of life. Reproof is life-giving. Instruction, that's biblical instruction, gives life. Look at this. Specifically, to keep thee from the evil woman. Reproof keeps you from this woman. From the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. The character we're talking about right now. What was it that will keep you from her? Reproof of instruction. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Remember, our text said that they despise reproof in the heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, look at this, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Now we quote this next verse. Oftentimes we quote it and we don't quote it in the context. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? It's in the area of sexual morality. Can a person take fire, take it into your chest, and it won't burn your clothes? Of course it will. Can a man partake in this kind of a relationship and it not burn him? Absolutely not. It's always going to have a destroying effect. Verse 28 Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. Now remember, we've been talking about the strange woman, but the man who's enticed and gives in to her is just as guilty. You know, we live in a blame shifting society. Man would say, Well, she enticed me, it was her fault no, it was your fault because you hated instruction and you hated reproof and you cast it behind your back. Folks, listen, the word of God is meant to be read. It's meant to be be our lamp. It's meant to be our our light. But it even tells us there in, in Proverbs 6.32, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. We, we won't even get into the implications of what that says. We'll, we'll see if the scripture will give us a little bit of insight into that. But listen, the word of God is what keeps us. Folks, it is your only hope in this world is the word of God and what the Bible tells us and what the Bible teaches us and what it's telling us in our life. It is meant to be a light. If we lose this battle, it will not be because we didn't know God's word. It will be because we hated instruction. We hated reproof. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That man that gives in to the adulterous woman says, I have done all I can do. I deserve to be happy. That's not what the Bible says. Nowhere does the Bible say that I'm okay if you sin as long as it makes you happy. That's not not it at all. So this man that's enticed, now notice there's a difference between being enticed and ensnared, okay? So the enticement is it's the bait. If you bait a trap in the woods to try to catch something, whatever it is, You're enticing it to come near that trap. Often, if you just set a trap out in the middle of the woods, there's nothing going to come wandering by. But if you put bait in that trap, then it's going to attract. Remember the strange woman we've read about, she's putting out the bait. She's putting out the things and he falls for it. So we see that the man enticed to despise reproof. Number two, the man deceived by the strange woman disobeyed instruction. Verse 13 tells us, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. Listen, it is never vain for a preacher or a parent for that matter to constantly repeat themselves. It is not vain to continue to preach against the sin of adultery, for example. You can never tell your kids enough about the warnings of this. And I would tell you, I had a good conversation with someone recently that was telling me that they have now are able to have conversations with their kids that they never thought they'd be able to have. They're having open, heart-to-heart conversations about things like this. This is what the Bible says. And we fall fallen pray to this society that says well that's too much for our kids to handle listen it's too much for your kids not to handle they need to know the truths of this you start teaching children about this and they say well i don't i don't want to expose them to all that listen i i i you will thank god that you expose them early to these truths now again you do it biblically right you do it according to this is what the bible says The confession upon many, when they've read the word of God and the scripture, it does become imprinted on our hearts. So that our children, when they grow, they begin to respond to the instruction that they learn. This says that this man despised it. He disobeyed it. Now to disobey means you truly know what it says. And you say, I'm not doing that. I am going to do my own thing. They run past the stop signs of the instruction of teachers and of parents. And I think if there's a single person out there that would be honest with themselves, they would have avoided the misery that they're in had they just obeyed the voice of the teachers and the parents and the people who were trying to biblically teach them. It would have preserved many. Over in Proverbs 23... Verse 22, Proverbs 23, verse 22. This is in the section of the correction of a child. All right, it's it's in there. Proverbs 23 has a lot to do with the correction of a child. But in verse 22, it says, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. By the truth. Sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. By the truth. That's the description of what the Bible is. By the truth. It It is that which will help us. It is that which will protect us. Verse 24, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice in him. He that begetteth a wise child shall have the joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bare thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. It can't be any clearer. It, God couldn't write it out any more strongly than to what this woman is and why our responsibility is to teach because this is what she is waiting to do. We all know 2 Timothy 3, but let's go ahead and turn there. 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 through 17. Again, we, we look at these verses sometimes in the context and it's, it's proper to do this. But 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17, the overall theme is the inspiration of Scripture. Okay, so if we were to say, uh, what's, what's Paul writing to Timothy about? He's writing to him about the inspired word. But he says in verse 15, or verse 14 rather, he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How remarkable it is to think about, he says, and that from a child, from a young age, you've known the scriptures. It is profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. We can say that, The person who will not comply now with the instruction and the calls of God later will find themselves in that deep pit that we just saw in Proverbs 23 that describes the strange woman. They would have avoided these things. Listen, there is absolutely, positively no reason, and let me just be as strong and firm as I can be about this, there is absolutely no reason for a man to fall prey to adultery that knows the word of God. All of it comes back to his own hatred of instruction and disobedience to it. Now, we know what Jesus said, right? You no, know, we're, not, we're not claiming to be holier than now. The Bible even tells us a man's committed adultery in his heart, even if he just looks and lusts at a woman. We, we understand that. But he's talking about this, this very act of, 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 of acting upon this. And we need to understand that this is all because of our hatred of the instruction and hatred of what God's word says to not be deceived. You won't be deceived if you're not given over to the enticement. And listen, temptation is not the sin, folks. Temptation is not the sin. It's giving into it. Temptation's going to come. Listen, if we're honest with each other tonight, there are things that come across the mind of ours that remind us every single day just how wicked and depraved we are. I was teaching at the, at the school this morning, subbing today, and one of the Bible classes, that was a question that was asked. And you should have seen the look. He said, How many of you sinned this morning? Some people, you could see the question came out, and everybody was like, And others were like, Me? Listen, we're not talking about sinlessness tonight. We're not talking about that you're going to get to the place where the sin and the temptations not going to be a problem. But listen, the enticements are going to come. But what are we going to do when the enticement comes? We're going to lean back on the instruction of what we know to be right. And it's not just for the kids. That's for adults too. That's, that's what our protection is. So we see the pattern here. First of all, we're enticed because we despise reproof. Secondly, then because we don't move away from the enticement, we're deceived because we disobey. And then verse 14 back in our text, the man ensnared by the strange woman will have his sin exposed. You realize that most people who get involved in these relationships think they'll never get caught. Number one, God always knows what's happening. You're already caught. But the warning is, your sin's going to be exposed not just to me. Your sin is going to be exposed to all around you. And by the way, that's the sad reality of what I'm seeing happening in the situations that I know of. They're exposed wide open. And sadly, details Everything. Families ruined, lives destroyed, ministries lost, churches brought to to nothing because of the scandal that runs through it, because of the reality that the ensnarement took place. Notice verse 14 back in the text says, I was almost in all evil. I was almost in all evil. It's 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 an interesting phrase in the midst of the assembly and congregation. It is a reference to the exposure of his transgression. What he thought would remain a secret was going to be exposed. Once he entered into thinking, and this is what happens with sin, no one will ever find out. Here's what I'm finding out. Your mind becomes so warped that you literally believe that. (laughs) You start to live as if my double life will never be exposed. Nobody's going to know about this. But God has a way of making sure that that sin gets exposed. It was exposed in the midst of the assembly. The foolishness of his sin, the betrayal, the lack of self-control, all becomes public. It was said by Matthew Poole, this is a great quote. He said, I who designed and expected to enjoy my lust with secrecy and impunity am now made a public example and a shameful spectacle to all men. And that in the congregation of Israel, where I was taught better things, and where such actions are most infamous and hateful. He's, of course, talking about this text. He's talking about this man, and again, the congregation of Israel. Don't forget the spiritual application here as well. Israel and the the women from the other nations that were coming in, it's going to be exposed. But I like what he said. He said, who was taught better things? This was not due to ignorance. But it also reminds us that everything we do is witnessed by God. Go back to the book of Job, chapter 24, Job 24, and look at verses 15 through 17. Job 24, verses 15 through 17. The Bible, Job is talking about the sins of wicked men, He's describing men of the darkness. That's his terminology, men who who operate in the dark. Darkness, of course, it's a picture of sin. He says in verse 15, The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguiseth his face. What's he saying? He's saying that the wicked adulterer waits until the sun goes down because nobody will see him. And if I disguise my face, nobody will know who I am. In the dark, they dig through houses which they had marked for themselves. In the daytime, they know not the light. For the morning is to them, even as the shadow of death. If one know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. You notice there that man Thinks the darkness hides me. Then find the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter seven. It's a book we don't turn to often. Uh, I think I encouraged you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's it's a wonderful book to read through. Just the principles of redemption, the per- the, the picture of uh, the the purchase uh, out of the slave markets. It's it's a wonderful wonderful reminder. But in the midst of Hosea seven, the Lord is announcing. Uh, And he's proclaiming the wickedness of Israel. In Hosea 7, verse 1, it says, When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers spoileth without. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings, Have beset them about, they are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness, and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, as an oven heated by the baker who ceaseth from raising after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. You have again the picture of the man who fails to remember that God sees it all, God knows it all. And then Hebrews 13, 4 shows us what's right and what's wrong. I've always said that when when you read Hebrews 13, the thought almost seems out of place. Because Hebrews 13 it's talking about strange doctrines, it's talking about how the Lord is our help, it talks about our conversation. It's where we, we know the verse that we t- hold so dearly, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. But in verse number four of Hebrews 13, the Bible says this: marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will what? Judge. So we see there's a right way and we're getting somewhere because next week we're going to look at how Solomon then is going to instruct his his own son. Listen, God has put something in place that is much better and is actually acceptable with God. It's this blessedness of marriage. An old Puritan... By the last name, his is, is, is last name is Trapp. There's, there's, there's some things, John Trapp, there's some things out there, but it's a little bit harder to quote. He says, no unclean person can have any assurance that his sin shall always be kept secret. No, not in this life. The Lord hath oft brought such, sometimes by terror of conscience, sometimes by frenzy to that pass, that themselves have been the blazers and proclaimers of their own secret filthiness. See, when we think God's keeping us from something, at the very same time, God says, but here is the beauty of what I have given you. He is saying that the marriage in God's way is honorable in all things. That there is nothing that is defiled when it's done properly. But yet, the whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So let's bring this To a close here. Let's go back to Proverbs quickly and let's look at this this last statement here because as he finishes this, we finish this section being in the evil and in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. Now, there has been many a person who, when their sin is found out, are still not brought to repentance, they're only brought to regret. And there's a difference in being sorrowful and being repentant, okay? Just being sorry is not necessarily repentance. But the Apostle Paul writes about repentance and godly sorrow. So hold your place there in Proverbs and let's go to 1 Corinthians 6 and let's look at verses 9 through 11. Paul is talking about the judgments. He's, he's dealing with the judgments and that are to come and he acknowledges that there were things that were present in some, but they are now gone. He says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. you would be surprised how many people are arguing with that verse today in churches. Saying, we can do all of these things because of grace and still be a child of God. What does the Bible say? It says, none shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this doesn't mean if you've ever been guilty of this that you can ever inherit the kingdom of God. But what it does mean is as a way of life. That's, your, that's the way you live your life. Paul says, and such were some of you. Paul right here is acknowledging there was a time in, in your life when you may have been guilty of all these things, but it's not as a believer. These things should not be present in you as a child of God. But you're washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul acknowledges there was a time in your life when this was the case. But then go over to 2 Corinthians 7 and look at verse number uh, 9. 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 9. I won't... Call this Paul's apology because I don't think that's exactly the right terminology to use. But Paul says in that chapter, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9, he says, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. See the, you see the emphasis there. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you! Yea, what clearing of yourselves! Yea, what indignation! Yea, what fear! Yea, what vehement desire! Yea, what zeal! Yea, what revenge! In all things, you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. You have this picture of repentance. What is really repentance? We understand that repentance is, should be daily. We should be seeking a daily cleansing. That same uh, man, John Trapp, used this illustration of what true repentance could be described. And he said, here's, here's the words we might use. He says, oh, what a wretch, what a beast, what a maddened devil was I so woefully to waste the fat and marrow of my dear and precious time, the flower of mine age, the strength of my body, the vigor of my spirits, the whole of mine estate in sinful pleasures and sensual delights. Lo, here is a kind of repentance which though late, yet if it were true, would be accepted. I can't tell you how many situations where what is held on to is I will not repent of this sin. And they will continue to say, because I know I'm right. Because I know I deserve it. Because I know that my happiness is what God wants. God wants me to be happy. And so God is allowed, and God is no way in sense angry with me. And yet everything we see shows us how important it is to understand that this is not a sin that goes unnoticed. It tells us there in your conclusion there, and it's a quote from Ironside. I don't necessarily ascribe to all of his doctrine, but he's right on this. He said, Now it is of great importance for men, especially in their younger days, to furnish themselves with preservatives from the word which is able to keep us against the snares of the strange woman. Solomon had already warned us against her, but he's directed by God to do it a second time at even greater length. You can never be warned too much. Sadly, there are people today that don't believe the warnings. There is somewhere... I'm not trying to be dramatic, but there's somebody somewhere in this country, in this world, who even today, tonight, a man, let's just use a man, who is thinking, considering, committing adultery. He's thinking about it. It's, 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 it, is, it has already started to captivate his mind. He's already considered. He's already thought through the scenarios. He's thought about the ways Listen, he's being enticed. And if he does not get back to the word of God, I promise you, he will fall into deception and he will be ensnared. But it won't be because he did know better. It's because he says, listen, God's keeping something from me. Listen, God's, God's keeping something better from me. And we need to understand that for that single moment, A man will throw everything away only to find himself in the throes of regret because he realizes that single moment or that single hour or whatever it is, it wasn't as good as he thought it was going to be. You lose it all. Oh, there are people who give me an example and they'll say something like this. They say, "My, my life's happier than it's ever been. And they live on as if God must not be displeased. Look, He's blessing us. It's a deception. The reality is this strange woman could have been avoided. This strange woman can always be avoided. A man or a woman who will not believe the warnings of God will certainly feel them. That's God's Word, not mine. Now what Solomon does, and the the next section we'll look at next week, is Solomon begins to explain in terms that only the Bible could use about the picture of marriage, the picture of the way God has blessed it to be. And he's going to ask him the question. He's going to say, why knowing what you know about my goodness, why would you even think about throwing it all away for the strange woman? It's an allegory, but it's also a perfect picture of the remedy. It's the remedy against the strange woman, especially when we take it with what we've already seen here by not hating instruction, not despising reproof, obeying the voice of teachers, inclining our ear to them that are instructing us and believing the promise that our sin will find us out. These are serious subjects, I realize it. And they are serious subjects that I think for far too long, church has gotten silent on things. We're afraid of, you know, we've actually bought in. Churches, sadly, have bought into this idea we don't want to offend anybody. I hope this offends us. I really do. I hope this offends us so bad we can't stop thinking about it. Because I want us to understand how serious it is. But also know that right now, everybody under the sound of the voice and the sound of the word of God, you are now completely 100% accountable. Because now you certainly can't walk out saying, I didn't know those verses existed. Well, now we know them. They're there. And there's nothing we can do about it. But understand, this is what God has said. You either believe it or you don't. All right, so next week we'll, we'll continue and be looking at verses 15 through 23. If you want to read ahead, that's the, that's the passage we'll be in. And uh, you can study that on your own for next week. And uh, we'll look forward to that uh, a week from tonight. All right, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer.